This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Chris Brooks here, and I want to thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Did you know that we are funded by the generosity of listeners just like you? Would you help us finish this month strong? Just call 888-644-4144 or give at equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I'm so thrilled that you've joined us today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And with that, I welcome you to what will hopefully be an interactive edition of Equip. We want to take your phone calls and we want to have a conversation about a subject that is as old as our faith, but yet as modern and contemporary as our current Christian lives. I want to take up a simple question today, and that is, what is discipleship? Now, that may seem like a simple question with a simple answer, but I fear that for many of us, we would give a variety of answers to that question that are built in with a lot of assumptions, a lot of presuppositions, and a lot of cultural influences that aren't derived from Scripture or from the way of Jesus, but from our tradition maybe, or maybe other cultural influences. And so I want to talk about what does it mean to be formed by Jesus? How does that happen? What does that look like? Because I'm convinced that it is possible for us to be transformed, uh, but it's going to take intentionality. And that's what we want to talk about today, the type of intentionality and awareness that we need to have spiritually, the type of awareness we need to have concerning ourselves, mentally, emotionally, uh, in order to experience true transformation in our walk in relationship with Jesus. We're constantly being formed by the world around us. To be formed by Jesus requires each of us to become his apprentice. Well, those are the words of my guest today, John Mark Comer. Maybe you've heard of John. He's a New York Times bestselling author of uh, several books. Uh, Probably the one that's impacted uh, the most is uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I remember reading through that, in particular during COVID with our staff here at our church and many of my friends as we begin to rethink life in major ways. And it's amazing looking back on that season and that time how much has changed and yet how much has remained the same. He is also um, a uh, a lead pastor who helped to found Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. But now he is, in addition to writing, he and his family are in Los Angeles and serving as a teaching uh, teacher in residence uh, on discipleship and spiritual formation at Vintage Church in L.A. He joins me today to talk about his newest book, Practicing the Way. Be with Jesus, become like him, do as he did. 
John, how are you today? I'm doing great. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Well, it is an honor to have you on. As as I mentioned, your writings have impact, impacted so many, and and obviously they've had a profound impact on me as well. So I want to say thank you. I find myself um, shadow boxing with you as I read your work so often, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that, man, you reveal in your writing so many of the presuppositions that I come to conversations about discipleship, following Jesus, the way of Jesus. You you really challenge those, and uh, I find myself walking away saying how much of what I've known about discipleship, what I've taught, what I've believed, is shaped by culture versus shaped by Scripture and by the first century church. And, uh, and, I, and I commend you for that. It seems to me that that is a tough task to take on in this day of evangelicalism. Talk about your, your heart in this area. Yeah, I think every generation has to do the work of peeling back the layers of what has been added on unnecessarily to the Christian way, whether by just cultural traditions and trappings or, you know, malevolent motivation from dubious leaders or just our own confusion, you know. And uh, I grew up deep in uh, the stream of the church, and I'm deeply grateful for it. But like every generation before us, we have to do the hard work of holding up the way that we kind of think about God and read the New Testament and follow Jesus against the template of Jesus himself. And this is an iterative process. And the beauty is we have thousands of years of of good case study, you know, good case law case study to go before. We're not we don't start from scratch, (laughs) but we do have to always come back to the center. What does the word hadas mean, hadas? What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, that's a Greek word that is actually used a lot more in the New Testament than than people realize. It's used a ton by Jesus and the writers of the four Gospels. We miss it because it gets translated into a few different English words. It gets translated as way, like we think of Jesus teaching on the broad way and the narrow way. It also gets translated path, and it also gets translated road. And it's a word picture used by Jesus. It's a metaphor that's used by Jesus and the writers of the gospel all of the time to name um, the kind of reality of what it actually looks like to follow Jesus, or what I would call apprentice under Jesus. It's not just to follow a set of beliefs, or what we would call doctrine and theology. It's not just to live by a set of kind of Uh, ethical, moral systems, a list of do's and don'ts, and thou shalt, and thou shall. It is that. It's not not less than that, but it's more. It's also to follow a way of life that is set down by Jesus himself, that includes everything from kind of practices or habits in our modern nomenclature up to like a way of being in relationship with other people where we love our enemy and we askew contempt and anger and we live without fear or control or judgment of other people. And this is what's been kind of lost in evangelicalism. Eugene Peterson said in his many years, decades as a pastor in North America, uh, he would speak of Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he would say the truth gets a lot more of attention in evangelicalism than the way. He said it's the most frequently evaded metaphor in all of Jesus' teachings. 
And uh, I love it. I think it's one we need to recapture. You you alluded to earlier, you grew up in what has been called evangelicalism. You grew up as an evangelical in the evangelical tradition. Thinking back to your formative years in that movement, what did the word evangelical mean to you growing up? And what did spiritual formation look like as, as an evangelical? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would have used that word as a kid. That was just the stream of the church I grew up in. That word has lost its meaning. It's become more of a political word, and it's become, honestly, I think it's an unhelpful word. And it's not necessarily a biblical word, so I don't feel any loyalty to it. I think what people were trying to say, there's a technical definition. A thinker named Babington came up with what's called Babington's Quadrilateral, which are these four kind of uh, pillars of evangelicalism, and, you know, high view of the scriptures, personal conversion, uh, uh, emphasis on the cross, and social action. That was kind of his summary of evangelicalism. But the way it was used when I was growing up was just like really serious Jesus people that really took the Bible to be um, scripture and really intentionally wanted to follow after Jesus. It's all the word really meant when I was growing up. It doesn't mean that anymore. And um, unfortunately... You know, and there's lots of conversation here, and I will. we can keep talking about this if you want, but I don't want to <laughs> over-talk a radio show. But, you know, evangelicalism comes out of the Enlightenment and the Protestant Reformation. We can come back and talk about that if you want. Mm-hmm. And so it has a very particular—it has a high view of the Bible, but I think it actually an unbiblical view of the human soul, which gives it often a weak model of discipleship. So the discipleship model that I grew up in was basically come to church on Sunday to learn and study the Bible, read the Bible every day, and tithe. And those are all really good things that are all still in my life and my rule of life. But by themselves, they simply do not create the kind of life architecture that is conducive to a high level of spiritual growth and maturity. And so I had to learn the hard way. I had to come to the limitations of that model and realized that uh, it was wildly deficient in the necessary ingredients from the Christian faith that you need if you want to really continue to grow and mature beyond the early stages of discipleship. Yeah, obviously that you, you just said a ton, and we could spend the rest of our time together just unpacking it. But a couple of things that I want to highlight, you know, about the way that um, – I was trained to understand discipleship in a way that I think many people have been taught to understand discipleship, that um, your, uh, the book, Practicing the Way, will will challenge. The one is that um, everything about discipleship is cerebral, intellectual, academic. That's one big misunderstanding that you challenge, isn't it? Yeah, and I wouldn't even use the word intellectual because it's true of like, you know, non-intellectual kind of all, it's not just true for like intellectual elites. It would be working class too. It's information-based. Yeah, And that's because evangelicalism came out of the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment thinkers uh, posited a new view of the human person as essentially a brain on legs. You know, Benjamin Franklin famously said, the chief purpose of the body is to carry the brain around. 
you know, Rene Descartes, the Christian philosopher, he's a Christian. He attempted to prove the existence of God without, you know, the Bible or miracles, and he came up with his famous dictum, I think, therefore I am. And this was the view of the human person. You're essentially a thinking thing. You're a rational brain. That was the view of the Enlightenment. And evangelicalism just kind of accepted this view of the human person. And then it had this huge coming out of the Protestant Reformation where the Bible had been lost in church history. Most priests had never even read the Bible. Most people had never read the Bible in their own language. Church was not even in their own language. And so the Protestant Reformation put the Bible and the preaching and the teaching of the Bible back into the bloodstream of the Western church. But what accidentally happened, I don't think there was malevolence here, is when you combine a high view of the Bible and preaching and teaching the Bible with a unbiblical view of the human person as a brain on legs, the, the result is the evangelical model of discipleship, which is based on the assumption that as a person's knowledge of the Bible increases, their spiritual maturity will increase along with it. And my conviction is there's a lot of truth in that assumption early in the discipleship journey for new Christians just getting started. But that correlation between growth in biblical knowledge and growth in Christ-like character goes down over time as you mature. And we can talk about why if you want, but that's my conviction. Let's talk about one other, and we'll circle back around to these, these ideas. But another, I think, presupposition that you challenge is the thought that um, discipleship is hierarchical. Uh, this this thought that my responsibility and everyone else's responsibility is to find someone in a one-on-one way and to quote-unquote disciple them. Why is that a unhelpful way of thinking about discipleship? Yeah, um, well, first off, I don't think that's a bad idea, um, but there's some huge problems with it. That is how most people interpret Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. They basically think, hey, Jesus, you know, took 12 uh, disciples and he poured into them. Therefore, that's the template. We need to each go find one or two or 10, 12 people, pour into them, and it's almost like this kind of pyramid scheme that goes down over time. There are some huge problems with that. The main one is Jesus is the one that we are discipling after, not our pastor or a mentor or an older, wiser Christian in our church. They're like an older brother. They're not our rabbi. They're not our master. They're not our Lord. Discipleship was part of the first century world. Jesus did not invent discipleship, and that's my contention. I do a lot of the history behind it in the book because a lot of evangelicals have a high view of discipleship, but they've never actually taken the time to learn what discipleship was in the first century. And you see in the Gospels, Jesus was not the only one to have disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. Paul was previously a disciple of Gamaliel, a Jewish teacher, before he became a disciple of Jesus. So this was actually part of the world. We don't get to make up what discipleship is. We learn it from Jesus' first century context. And a disciple would literally follow a rabbi around, and they have three basic goals. It was to be with their rabbi 24-7 in order to become like him and do as he did. And that's mm. what it means to disciple after Jesus. We'll talk more about this uh, wonderful book, Practicing the Way. I want to encourage you, get your copy. Go to our website, equipradio.org. More with John Mark Homer on Equip right after this. 
This daily program is fully devoted to coming alongside listeners like you to give you the tools needed for a successful walk with God. As one of our loyal listeners, would you be willing to become an equipper? Your monthly contribution will be applied to equipping others all across the country. Plus, as an equipper, I'll send you regular emails that contain brief pastoral messages prepared just for you. To become an equipper now, call 888-644-4144 or go online to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. My passion today is to help you to understand what it means to follow the way of Jesus, what it means to be with him, to become like him, so that you can do as he did. Uh, that's my heart, and, uh, and I'm grateful for my guest today, helping the church more broadly to understand what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, to follow Jesus, John Mark Colmer is my guest, and uh, the, the Practicing the Way is the name of the book, but it's even more than just a book title, isn't it, John? Yes, it's a way of life. It's a, it's a way of saying, apprenticing your whole life under Jesus. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's uh, what my heart is today, and, I, and I'm taking the approach that I am to just encourage folks to think deeply uh, because I think when you begin to dive into John Mark's writings, it does challenge you. And I think in a good way, it challenges you, but I want to kind of unpack some of the things that we are bringing to the discussion. And maybe we don't even know John Mark that we're bringing to the discussion um, or even thinking uh, as it pertains to what it means to follow Jesus, to be formed by him. Um, when you refer to rule of life, I just want to come back to that because you you refer to your rule of life. Um, just for folks who maybe that's unfamiliar language, what is that? What is a rule of life? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I love to talk about this. A rule of life is an ancient Christian paradigm. It was goes way, way, way back to the first generations of followers of Jesus that came up with this, essentially a plan to follow Jesus and be deeply formed in spiritually to become more like Jesus through prayer and life together in community. And so it's, uh, the language is really important because it's ancient language. We don't use it anymore today. It's rule of life singular, not rules for life, plural. So it's not a list of rules. Uh, the Latin word that the early Christians used was regula, where we get the word uh, regular, regulation, as well as the word rule and ruler, because it literally meant a straight piece of wood. And a lot of scholars think it was the, it was the word that was also used for a trellis in an ancient kind of vineyard or winery in the ancient Mediterranean. And that's because early Christian teachers used, uh, picked up on Jesus' word picture in John chapter 15, where he said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. This is Jesus' kind of most in-depth teaching on spiritual formation. And they said, hey, what does, a, what does a winery need? What does a vine need in order to bear much fruit? It needs a trellis. It needs a kind of wooden support structure to lift it up off the ground to kind of guide it in the right direction toward the sun and the light and the right, you know, kind of angle, and also to guard it from dangerous predators, from disease, from damage. 
you don't see like vines ever just growing wild on the ground. Like they need a trellis. And the early Christians said in the same way, we need a kind of trellis to lift up and guard and guide our spiritual formation. So a rule of life, I define it in the book as a schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms that organize our life around apprenticeship to Jesus and enable us to be deeply spiritually formed as we live in alignment with our deepest desires. That's a blessing. That's 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 really good. Let, let's dive into these three. Uh, first schedule, you've written a lot about the pace of life that we uh, that many of us yes. live, in particular in your ruthless elimination of hurry. Um, how has or how does the pace of the modern life affect apprenticeship with Jesus? You know, there's a Japanese theologian, Kosuke Koyama, who wrote a little book called Three Mile an Hour God about following Jesus. Yes. And I had to Google it. And apparently three miles per hour is the average speed of walking. And he just makes the point that all of the biblical metaphors from Abraham all the way to Jesus are about walking with God and that God has his own pace and it is a slow pace because uh, it's the pace of what he calls the pace of love. If you think about 1 Corinthians 13, the kind of first descriptor of love in Paul's poem, the theology poem, is love is patient. Another way to translate that is love is unhurried. It's not in a rush. It's not fast-paced. It has time for you, time for interruption, time to put other people ahead of itself. That's what love is. And so my contention is that hurry and love and being formed into a person of love, which is the whole point of discipleship, the whole telos of the spiritual journey in the Christian faith, to, to grow to love God by your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that hurry and love are incompatible. You cannot have both. And so for most modern, Western, busy, fast-paced people, in particular if you live in a city like Chicago or L.A., where I call home now, (laughs) the a key step towards seriously apprenticing under Jesus is intentionally, consciously, deliberately learning to slow your life down to the speed of love. Mm. Looking back, when you released The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, looking back on that now, having had some time to really process that with various groups of people and hearing feedback. Are there any misunderstandings, common misunderstandings that you think people have about what your heart was and what you were trying to communicate through that book? Hmm. The only one that comes to mind, Chris, is, you know, the trick with writing a book is different people need to hear different messages, right? Yeah. And so... Most most of the people I work with, you know, pastoring in urban Portland were kind of between the age of 22 and 42 and were, you know, very career-driven, urban, professional, creative kind of people. And so their lives were just over-the-top busy, and almost every single one of them needed to be told to slow down, you know? But there are other people that actually need to be told, maybe not to speed up, but to kind of like get up off their bum and like, you know, go do some things with their life. And there is a generational shift here. And I don't want to, you know, throw Gen Z under the bus. I'm not even that far ahead of them. But 
there is, I think, I think it's a fair and loving um, criticism of emerging generations that they really lack emotional resilience due to a number of factors from the pandemic and the financial crash, but mostly due to social media and the digital yeah. world and the breakdown of the family. And so there's a pretty low emotional threshold for pain, suffering, and hard work is a form of pain and suffering. So I think there's a, you know, there are some problems we solve and some tensions we manage. And again, the vast majority of people I talk to need to seriously slow down and begin to practice Sabbath. But I think there is a growing number of people that, yes, they should not hurry and they should continue to practice Sabbath, but they actually need they need a book a little bit more on like building emotional resilience to shoulder the weight of life and adulthood and responsibility with joy and diligence. So you can't say it all to everybody and it's my honor to write, but that's, that's the only kind of clarification that I find myself regularly making, you know, for example, the Sabbath command is actually two commands for six days. You shall work, but on the seventh, (laughs) you shall do no work. Yeah, and I like to say yeah. most people need to hear the second half of the command. You need to take a day to rest. Some people need to hear the first half of the command. Four six days you shall work. Yeah, that's right. No, that's good. And you know, it's interesting. I mentioned in my introduction that we rolled it out at our church here, and uh, yeah, I think you you're spot on. I think the tension that we've had to kind of live in real time, and I, I don't think this is any different than in our personal lives is, man, how do you balance productivity and rest and moving at the pace of love? I love that thought. Um, you know, I, I like to think of this as that moving at the speed of relationships. Um, and so, yeah, I think that you're, you're spot on in your observation there. Listen, we're up against another break, but these breaks are strategically placed throughout the program for you to breathe, for you to process a little bit of the conversation, but also for you to find out more. Go to our website or our social media platforms at Equip Radio. You'll find us there. You can find out how to order the book, Practicing the Way. There's also a section in the book to help you to form a rule of life. We'll talk to John Mark about more after this. Next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. What a joy it is to be with you today. I count this part of my day a privilege. I always look forward to sharing these conversations with you. And we'll get back to our conversation with John Mark Comer in just a moment. But you know, every day I am blessed to receive notes and letters, uh, little messages from those who listen to the program. And yesterday we were really encouraged, our team was, to receive a note from uh, a friend who listens to Equip in North Fort Myers, Florida. Her name is Tammy. And Tammy left this note for us. She says, I'm donating. And she mentioned that she didn't have a lot of extra financially to give, but she just wanted to help out the best she could. So she gave a $10 gift. And what a blessing that is, Tammy. Thank you so much for just loving the program, for listening to the program, for communicating that the program's been a blessing to you. But she goes on to say that she wanted to challenge more people to step up, even if you could do $10, 
to step up and to uh, match this giving challenge, this kind of $10 giving challenge. And she left this final statement, every little bit counts, and uh, or every little bit helps is what she said. And so I just want to say thank you to Tammy. I thought it was so awesome, your gift, your heart. Um, I don't know all that's going on in your life, but for you to make that sacrificial gift uh, to the program, it just means a lot. And I pray that uh, today your heart would be encouraged, that you would know that you've been a blessing, and uh, I hope that we're a blessing to you as well. But I also want to use this as an opportunity to pass on her message. Maybe you're listening, and maybe uh, you can step up and uh, answer the giving challenge that she has laid out. I wonder if you could do that today to give a $10 gift or whatever your best gift would be. I want to encourage you to do so uh, and to uh, step up to Tammy's challenge. The phone number uh, is 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144. I'll give it again, 888-644-4144. Or go to our website, equipradio.org, equipradio.org. Thank you, Tammy, for listening and for all of our friends that are out there that can match Tammy's gift of a $10 gift or whatever your best gift is, I encourage you to call now. I I would love to be able to give Tammy an update and say, hey, friends, we're listening, and they did respond. And God, we pray that you would bless our dear sister in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, John Mark Homer is my guest today. His book, Practicing the Way, really is a culmination of uh, much of his previous writings with uh, some really helpful new sections as well. Uh, But this book, Practicing the Way, helps us to think deeply about what it means uh, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, do as he did. But even more importantly, it helps us to put this practice, uh, Practicing the Way, into life. This is more than a book. It's, It's an invitation, again, to practice the way, just like the book uh, describes. Let's talk about relational rhythms. Uh, what does that look like for you? And how has social media and other modern ways of connecting with people impacted our relational rhythms? Oh, what a great question. You know, I, I think it's really important to clarify again, radical individualism, the sociologist Robert Bella said is the defining trait of America, it's part of our culture. And so we can easily lose sight of the fact that uh, spiritual formation or, in more classic language, discipleship to Jesus is a relational process. You cannot do it alone. It is designed by Jesus to be done in community. To follow Jesus is to join his community, just like in the New Testament theology, to be adopted by the Father is to become a part of the family and have new brothers and sisters. And uh, relationships are how we form. And so a rule of life, again, is just bringing more intentionality. So we don't just want to take an idea like, hey, let's slow down and eliminate hurry and, and like try harder. We want to actually put practices into our schedule and take certain things out of our schedule to intentionally slow our lives down. Same with relationships. We don't want to just to aspire to be more relational. We want to actually create relational rhythms that prioritize the kinds of relationships where we are spiritually formed. 
And that's where, again, as you said, the digital age and social media have done more damage than good. You know, I think that sociologist, the data is clear now. And part of that's because social media gives us the illusion of connectivity rather than the reality of community. And it gives us these relationships where we're connected to people all over the world with no F, little to no effort or ease, where we just type with our thumbs. But yet we're not actually in community with these kind of small, long-term, close, vulnerable, emotionally honest, spiritually deep relationships that are the kind of relationships where we are transformed. I would love for you to share, and this is probably the most personal question I can ask you, what does this look like in your life? What what do these uh, practices, this rule of life look like in a day in the life of John Mark Homer? Specifically, like the relational rhythms part of it? No, just in, just in general, what does your day look like as a, an apprentice of Jesus, as, as you are living this out? Because it's one thing to write it, right? And, uh, and obviously to put pen to paper. It's another thing to live it out. And so I'm curious to know, what does that look like for you? What, is the, what does the morning rhythm look like for you throughout the day? How do you balance the tensions of the busyness and the pace of the world around and focusing in on the relationship with Jesus? So, yeah, what does that look like? That Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I always hesitate with that because all of our lives are different. So, right, you know, you're right. going to have a different job. You know, everybody has a different job, different age kids and different, you know, living situation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I won't go through the whole thing that would take too long. But yeah. some core, I like to think about a rule of life through what are my daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, and then monthly or seasonal rhythms and relational, spiritual, so on and so forth. And, um, you know, at a daily level... I have a, you know, I, I put a high emphasis on spending an hour each morning first thing in quiet prayer. So I, uh, I don't sleep with my phone in my room. I do not look at my phone any day until after I have finished an hour of time in quiet prayer. So of a more kind of contemplative nature and the reading of scripture and just spending time really listening for the voice of God and his direction for the day. So simple practice, but that is like baseline practice for me. And then during the day, I have a few little practices where I try to kind of pause for a daily prayer rhythm to just kind of take a deep breath, go on a 10 minute walk, you know, before my afternoon meetings and such to kind of reorient myself to God, slow myself back down, because I get into work mode, and work John Mark is not as Christ-like <laughs> as prayer John yeah. Mark. Yeah. And then on a weekly basis, um, you know, there's a couple of key practices for us weekly. One would be the practice of Sabbath. So we take a full 24 hours. We actually turn all of our devices off. We put all of our phones and laptops and TV remote in a black box that we put away in a closet, and we spend a full day in just full-on joy, delight, sleep, rest. We start on a Friday night with a huge kind of party feast. This week we'll have about 17 people at our house of our closest friends, family members, people that keep Sabbath together. And we light the candles of Sabbath, and we open in prayer, and we eat the biggest, longest meal and sit by the fire 
and just it's uh so it's kind of a combination of a day of rest and also our weekly meal with our community and that weekly meal in around a table with people that we're following Jesus with and know us deeply and bear our burdens with that that's an anchor practice in our week and then of course worship on Sunday which is a huge part of even Sabbath and then another another weekly practice that for me is a lifeline is and it doesn't always work with work schedule and when I'm traveling but about once a week I try to have a deep one-on-one connection either with my kind of closest friend that we do confession of sin together. And then maybe on the off weeks, I would meet with my therapist or a mentor for like a deep kind of heart, long conversation, honest conversation. And there's just a couple people that know me as well as my wife knows me or even better at times. And that is really, really, really important, a place to confess my sin, to have people speak into my life, to bear my burdens with me. So those are some of the practices that are simple and that, again, take away from other hobbies and busyness, but are anchors in my life with God. And I love that thought of anchors. I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate even the humility in uh, acknowledging, hey, this is a challenge even for a John Mark Homer, and the, and the goal is not perfectionism, like you're going to get a grade on this. Uh, but no, I, but no, I, no, no, uh, no, not at yeah. all. The goal, I think, though, is to have those anchors and to try to be uh, honest and live into those anchors as much as you as you can and be honest about when you're off and to be in enough relationship and community where – uh, you and others are able to encourage one another, comfort, challenge, all of those beautiful things that comes along with uh, covenant community and spiritual family. So I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. We got to take our last break of the day. But before we do that, real quickly, I just would love to hear the impact that Dallas Willard has had on your life because I'm such a huge admirer of Dallas Willard and uh, his, his, uh, his work, how has Dallas impacted you? Yeah. You know, in the Catholic tradition and in academia as well, because of the way people do their dissertations, it's very common to have an intellectual father or mother. And I like that category. Willard has been that for me. He has been kind of played a predominant role in shaping my thinking and, the way I kind of map myself onto the the world of the New Testament and what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, I've also been deeply influenced by the British theologian N.T. Wright, so I will sometimes quip that I learned how to read the Bible from N.T. Wright and how to follow Jesus from Dallas Willard. And that's the real gift of books. We can be mentored by these people, these heroes of the faith that we don't get to meet. I never had the chance to meet Dallas. And so he was a philosopher from the University of Southern California. He wasn't actually a theologian. He was a philosopher. But his work in kind of recapturing a more biblical, more ancient, more body-based and practice-based and relational model of discipleship transformed my life. Um, Or really rediscovering the model from Jesus transformed my life. But it was through him. I'm deeply grateful. Well, I'm grateful that you have continued on that intellectual tradition. You've continued on encouraging people, much like Dallas did, to uh, practice the way of Jesus. And 
you uh, have uh, been a huge blessing, and I'm grateful for it. We're going to take our final break. This gives you an opportunity, friends, to hopefully learn more about the program and hopefully find out more about John, Mark, and the book, Practicing the Way. Be with Jesus. Become like him. Do as he did. You can order your copy and find out ordering information at our website, equipradio.org. Also, would love for you to take the giving challenge given by our friend and uh, listener to Equip, Tammy. Maybe you can give a $10 gift today at Equip. Go to equipradio.org. We'll be right back right after this. Good friendships are a blessing. Jesus even said there is no greater love than the sacrificial love between friends. He knows we need each other, but how do we build these powerful relationships? Rebecca McLaughlin has written a guide to help us start, and I highly recommend it. It's called No Greater Love, a biblical vision for friendship. You can have a copy when you support Equip this month. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Thank you to Marlene from Cleveland, Ohio, for your gift today. Uh, Idalisa from Allentown, Pennsylvania, thank you for your gift of generosity to the program today. Many are are responding to uh, our friend Tammy, who's listening to Equip in North Fort Myers, Florida, gave a gift and encouraged others to do what they can, do the best you can. Today, maybe that's a $10 gift or whatever fits into your budget, but I would encourage you, if we've been a blessing to you, to stand with us today. The phone number, 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144. Go to equipradio.org. John Mark Homer has been my guest today. John Mark, we only got a few minutes left. And one of the things that I like to do in these conversations as I end them is to ask my guests what they would want to say to two different groups. So the first group would be, imagine being in a room full of pastors. And I know for you, this isn't hard to imagine. That often happens. But what do you want to communicate to pastors about how we can better communicate what it means to practice the way to our church family? I think two things, you know, I would want to say to pastors and do regularly with so much love in my heart. One is we have to go beyond Sunday gatherings and Sunday sermons. We can talk about what to put in those sermons, Sunday sermons, but we have to go beyond kind of Sunday services in order to help people create a architecture of life together, not just on their own, but together during the week that goes beyond just listening to sermons, which are good and powerful, to a real life of apprenticeship to Jesus together. And the second thing I would want to say, pastors, is please call people not just to be Christians and to believe the right things about God and try to live good moral lives, but to really be apprentices or disciples or followers of Jesus. Dallas Willard said the greatest issue facing the world today is whether those who identify as Christians will become disciples. And, uh, you know, in America, for all the talk about it being a post-Christian nation, about 67% of Americans still self-identify as Christians. But a number of independent surveys estimate the number of Americans who are actually following Jesus is around 4%. 
And so much of the pastoral job um, is to kind of evangelize Christians to become apprentices of Jesus. And this is good and important work, and I urge my fellow pastors to do this work. All right, so now, final room. You're in a room now full of parents, moms, dads, maybe sprinkle in some grandparents, grandmas, grandpas. What do you want to say to us as parents about what it Mm. means to model and to help our children to practice the way? I would say, please do not just live a traditional, typical American life and try to just add going to church and a little Jesus devotionals onto the top of it. Please, in your own life, together as a couple or on your own, live differently, live even radically to some, and apprentice under Jesus and invite your family and your kids coming up behind you to do the same. And one way to live radically different is in relationship to your phone and kind of eschewing, getting sucked into your phone and really prioritizing prayer and a devotional life. And another way to live radically different is the practice of Sabbath, which is, again, a communal discipline. And it's a beautiful, my favorite one to do together as a family. I just love it. And if you could raise your kids with the gift of a whole day, set aside to stop, rest, delight, and worship, our, the church would change, our world would change, and your family would certainly be transformed. John Mark, it's a, it's a blessing, brother, to uh, finally get a chance to talk to you, have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it, Thanks, and I'm grateful. Chris. Before I let you run, we got about 30 seconds before we have to go. Would you mind praying for us? It would be my honor. And Chris, thanks for having me on. I love your hearts, and I love the way you pastor us through this. God, I pray for all of those who are listening right now, driving in their car, folding laundry, or sitting working in their garage. God, I pray that you would visit them with the peace of Christ and that they would not be overwhelmed or feel shame or guilt, but rather feel a welling up of joy within them to take the next step. And those of you listening, would you ask God even now, what's just the next small step for me in my discipleship to Jesus? What's the next right thing? Holy Spirit, fill minds and hearts right now with your direction and give us the grace to obey. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Amen. I appreciate you, brother. John Mark Comer has been my guest. The book, Practicing the Way. Be with Jesus. Become like him. Do as he did. You can find out more at our website, equipradio.org. That's equippedradio.org. So grateful for you listening in today. And I pray that the program has been an encouragement and a blessing to you. If it has, I would ask that you would uh, step up to the plate like Tammy, who gave a $10 gift and encouraged as many people as possible to do the same. Go to equipradio.org and tell it together again next time. As always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.